0: 19. 1 Thessalonians 5:19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Father God, I ask as I preach from this text, Father, this morning that you would be heard by your people and seen by your people in in the Word of God, in your Word. Father, this, what you want to accomplish here in this body is up to you. Through the text this morning that you have for us at this particular time, which even you foreordained before the foundation of the world, even this minute, this time, this hour we have, Father, And we're in the right text where we're supposed to be. And so, Father, we look to you today and ask that you, Father, would show yourself mighty in your word as you always do. But cause your sheep, Father, to hear what's being said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to continue with the exhortations that are given here to the Thessalonians. And in turn are given to us. So it's not just, it is written to them, but we uh, give application in our life to what was told to them. And so that we might recognize and live out the will of God in Christ Jesus for us also. So there should be, as we saw last week, let me back up here a little bit, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're supposed to praise him, rejoice always or rejoice evermore, your Bible might say. You know, to have a a praise in our hearts to God at all times, you know. So what are we doing about that in our day? Talked about that last week. You know, whether we ever do anything about it or not, it's still the will of God for his people to praise him all the time and rejoice always to give him praise. Go to Psalm 50 really quick here Psalm 50, verse 23. This was a a psalm of Asaph, and Asaph was. Uh, David's worship leader, okay? So it says here in verse 23, whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. But notice, whoever offers praise, what does it do for God? It glorifies him. It, 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 it declares his majesty. It, it shows how mighty he is. Just the praise of your lips does that. I mean, if you go back here to the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, verse 15, and you know the verse because you've read it probably many, many times. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, think about that verse for a minute. We're supposed to offer that. It's a sacrifice that we make towards God, but it's the fruit of our lips. What fruit's supposed to taste good? It's supposed to look good. It's supposed to taste good. It's it's refreshment. But here, who is it? Who's it for? Who's it supposed to taste good to? God. And so, you know, certainly we can rejoice. You know, if we if we struggle in finding something to to give God praise for, certainly this morning you can uh, rejoice in your salvation. Amen. I mean, just look at what uh, Luke says here in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Let's go back here to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and just look at verse 20 there. Nevertheless, I do not rejoice in this, or do not rejoice in this. They were rejoicing that the spirits would have to listen to them, the demonic spirits that they could cast out. And so Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. Oh, boy, what a good way to start a day. Our name is written in heaven. And so the church, and even in our private lives, we ought to be filled with the sounds of praise. When we come here, it's just constant, constant praise in our lives. And certainly our days should start with praise towards him. And I hope that's the case when he got up this morning. uh, You were praising him. And that should be followed. As I said last week, we should be in prayer. Pray without ceasing. And we need to be in an attitude of prayer, constantly talking to him, constantly listening to him. You know, prayer's not just one-sided. You know, it's not just so you can talk, 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 and God never gets a word in. You know, so, but... We have an attitude of prayer constantly, ready to call on his name, where, whether it be out loud or, a silent, or silently with others or just by ourselves. The, the word without ceasing give, gives the thought of looking for every opportunity to pray. And I don't want to go too far into that because we did it last week, but we should be looking for every opportunity to talk to God, to have fellowship with him. And we should train our eyes and heart to see people around us that need prayer. We're not focused like we should be. Our eyes should be on those things. Our hearts should be ready for that. And prayer is communication with God, and and we can live each minute of the day in constant, uh, flowing conversation with Him. Whether I'm doing it silently, or whether it's I'm mean, you doing it where I can where you can hear it. Uh, I like to pray out loud to God. I like to hear what I'm saying. It's it's a weird thing, I know. But I like to read the word of God out loud, too. So I can hear what I'm reading. You know, faith comes by reading. No, hearing. So I want to hear myself read it. It has an effect on me when I hear my own voice declaring the scriptures. And so... I want to pray sometimes even the same. Now, there, there's times we go go into the prayer closet. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that. We want to be just quiet with him. Let me go over there to that verse. Matthew 6, 6. How many of you have a prayer closet that you can go into and spend time with him? Maybe some of you like that movie, what, The War Room? Have a, have a real closet, which would be cool if you did it that way. But you when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who sees in, in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Wow. So but there's also great value in every moment of the day fellowship with God, thinking about thinking of him, talking with him, thanking him. So prayer is really important in the spiritual life of the Christian. But we also should be in that attitude of being thankful or in thanksgiving with him. And God is calling us to be genuinely thankful for, our, you know, our, the blessing that he gives in our life, for our salvation, for the things he's given us, the things he provides for us. He's done so much for us that we could never repay him for anything he's given us or done for us. So that's not what it's about. You know, the least we can do is bow our heads before him and be thankful for uh, the gracious gifts he gives us. And even that bowing before him is an act of submission. And Lord, thank you for what you've provided. After all, He it is his will for every Christian, it says in the text. So thankfulness is the opposite of complaining. I, some of us complain more than we thank God for. I hope that's not you. That brings us to verse 19, which is the majority of today's message. So what does it say? Do not quench the spirit. Now here is something I'm guilty of myself. Let me go back to some basics before we get into the text. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to settle... And some of you know this. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from others. But Let's just settle something about how we get the Holy Spirit and what it is that makes him take up residence in us. And so let me put to rest, there are teachings out there that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior or when you're born again, they would say that's not necessarily when you get the holy spirit so there are teachers false teachers I'm sure of that teach there's two baptisms okay there's the one you get born again but hey you know what then you need the power of the spirit in you so they teach another baptism which is supposedly followed up by tongues and other Type of things. And it's a total misunderstanding of what tongues were for in the first place. But that's a whole other teaching. But they teach another baptism. I want you to understand that in Ephesians chapter 1 here, in Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Stop right there. What starts in you on that time where God would say in Romans 8, I those whom I foreknew, those who I predestined, those who I predestined, these are also those who I justified or called, these are who I justified, these are who I glorified. I'm paraphrasing that. But there's a word there, called. That's the day you got saved. Do you remember the day you got saved? Okay, that day when you did one thing. Listen to what it says in the text here. Okay, so we don't uh, forget this. Okay. In him you also trusted. You trusted in Jesus Christ, that's who you trust in, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, So what happens? I'm a person that all of a sudden hears the gospel and I put my faith in Jesus Christ because the gospel was preached to me. And what happens? In whom also having believed, once I believe that gospel you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Spirit comes in and indwells the believer the minute you believe the truth of the gospel. The true gospel, not any false gospel. There's so many in the world today that are trusting in a gospel that is not the, or gospels that aren't the gospel of scripture. It's a dangerous place to be. You better make sure that the gospel you trust is the one that's preached by in the scriptures not something a man made up okay so uh, understand this before we get going here because the gospel is in every believer who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ okay that's when it happens okay and then what's the what what's the What's, what happens after that? He seals you. What? Is that what it says? You are sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, notice he has a title there of promise. Okay, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. What, what's the reasoning behind that? So that every promise God had made will happen. And I won't lose any promise that he's given me. And one of those promises all the way through scripture is himself in me. That's that mystery, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory that is in us. Are you glad he's in you this morning? Okay, there we go. But let me tell you, it's... It is possible for people to work against the Holy Spirit, even if he's in you? Is that possible? Yeah. Remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to believers in Thessalonica. And Paul, Paul wouldn't say something if that's something they weren't doing. Don't quench the Spirit. We'll get to that part in just a minute. People can resist him. Let's go to Acts 7. Acts chapter 7. Now, we don't want to. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to quench him. Acts 7, starting in verse 51, 52 you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. I hear, hear Stephen talking to really unsaved people. Okay, they're they're uncircumcised still, but you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you? Which of the of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers. ...and murderers. You know, how did they resist the Holy Spirit? You think about that. This Stephen is preaching this message. By persecuting or resisting who? The prophets. In whom the Spirit of Christ was working. Peter takes that that argument up in First Peter chapter 1. First okay, Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. And he says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. That grace that came to you is through Christ, amen? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So there's prophets that were were telling of this, and what did they do with those prophets? They killed them. You know, the same spirit led the apostles to preach and teach the, God's word. And people can resist the spirit today by refusing to abide even in the apostles' teachings. I can, I can, I can resist the spirit by saying, you know what, that's what it says, but I'm not doing that. I don't think you can't do it because I've taught Christians that says, hey, I know what the text says, but I've grown up believing this, but I'm not going to change my mind just because God's word says that. Good luck. Good luck. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He can, let me get here back here to Acts 2. Again, this is Peter here. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. So what was the early church doing? They were, what, following the teaching of the apostles. But they they can resist that. They didn't have to do that. I mean, they should have, but there was people that probably didn't do that. In that sense, how many of us have resisted the Holy Spirit today by not abiding in these doctrines? You look at the doctors just in the New Testament and go, hey, are we doing those? Are we really, really doing what the Bible tells us to do? Can I say I obey all parts of his word? You know, are we actually obeying his word or, or are we rebelling against the Holy Spirit? Because if it's written down in the scripture that you do this or you do that, they're, they're not suggestions, they're commandments given to us, and if we're not following them, then we can certainly be in a place where we resist him. We can be standoffish with the Spirit of God. And it it hurts him. And so we can grieve him. That would be the word for that. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians four. Let's talk about grieving him. We haven't even got to quenching him yet but he can be grieved. Does that bother you and me at all? The fact that God can be saddened by my behavior or what I say or do? Can I break the heart of my father? I think I can. I think I've done it too many times. I'm speaking for me. Verse 25. Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but... What is good for necessary edification that you may impart grace to the hearers? And do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to you to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ what forgave you. Can we grieve the spirit of God by the way we treat one another? Yeah. Well, that should be right in, in the forefront. W- what does it mean to grieve? It means to to make sorrowful. It means to affect with sadness, to uh, to affect somebody with sadness. It means to make somebody feel sorry or or d- you know, even even to the place of depression, or or not that God gets depressed, but I mean, with people, I can it, it means to to have a heaviness. You know, I I think of you know how are we grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesus here by lying to one another, by having a lack of forgiveness for one another, by stealing from others with corrupt speech. That would be, you know having bitterness and anger toward one another, by speaking evil of others. So, again, can I grieve the Holy Spirit in this way? And you say, yes, Uh, are we? As a church body, do we do that a lot? Probably more than we think. Okay? So, we make the Spirit sorrowful every time when, you know, there's unwholesome words that proceed out of our mouths. You know, I'm not with you 24-7. How many have trouble with their language? Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to be (laughs) grieved. But you're in that workplace all the time where the language is as filthy. Some of you are. Does it grieve you? Or are you part of it? Now this is, you say, "Uh, I'm not part of that. Uh, Well, you know, how many people work with people that say they're Christians and what comes out of their mouth is nothing but filth. That ought to grieve us. That ought to grieve the heart of God. It should grieve us. Certainly we shouldn't be partakers of anything like that because that which doesn't edify the person or give grace to those around us who are listening is grieving the Spirit of God. Now, how else can we... Grieve him, well, we can engage in conduct that's unbecoming to those who have been sealed for the day of redemption. I'm required because the Holy Spirit lives in me, it dwells within me, to act a certain way. Certainly I should be looking more like Jesus Christ as I approach the day of redemption, right? I should be getting, actually I should be finding myself distancing myself from the world, I should be farther and farther and farther apart what they think is right. But a lot of Christians aren't there yet. Now, there's some ways we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Negative speech, uncontrolled emotions. Sometimes we lie to one another. Uh, falling for deception. How about that? And you think of Ephesians, since we're here, five, these aren't in your bulletin. I'm going to give them to you here because they're coming to my brain. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Think God gets grieved when we're deceived with deceptive words? Yeah, he does. I mean, just think about that. What about stealing? You know, Ephesians chapter 4, That, and I brought that up, but Ephesians 4, 28. Let him who stole steal no more or longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Right? Do you think God would be grieved if we stole from one another? Yeah, sure, sure he would. Ephesians 5.18. Here's another one. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you think God is grieved when the world or the things of the world even cause us to, to uh, be drunk with that. Here, drunk with wine, so we lose our faculties. doesn't have to be wine. I can get so far into the world that I'm caught up in the world, and I'm following the world and not the Spirit. It's not just alcohol or wine. Are these ways that I can grieve Him? Absolutely. So we're guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit in our speech and in our conduct. Let's admit it. Lord, forgive us for that. Now, people can insult the Holy Spirit. You ever insulted him? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. How does a person uh, insult? Well, if you do the study of Hebrews there, they come to the place of almost believing in Jesus Christ, but they don't believe the gospel, really. Hebrews chapter 10 Starting in verse 6, we could read a long ways here, but I don't know if I want to read all that for the sake of time. But we can insult the, uh, the Spirit by simply not believing Him. Not believing the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to insult the Spirit of grace? That's really what I'm after. I'm looking for that verse there. I'll start in 26. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law d- dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. How do you insult the Holy Spirit? Simply don't believe what he says. Okay. Simply don't believe. if If the Spirit leads you to this place of repentance or leads you to Christ and you say, I don't want him. I don't want anything to do with that. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. Well, my goodness, you, that's an insult to him. And you're really, really close to the unpardonable sin there. Because what does the Bible say? Anything that we uh, do to Jesus is forgivable, right? But if we offend or we insult or we don't believe the Holy Spirit, when he brings us the gospel, folks, that's the unpardonable sin. We're in trouble. He can be insulted. The context in Hebrews chapter 10 pertains to willful sin in rejecting Jesus. So this persistent sin will, with full knowledge and no desire to repent, rejecting the only sacrifice that can cleanse one from their sin, who is Jesus Christ and him alone. And in doing so, you insult the spirit of what? What did the Holy Spirit want to give you? grace. And you say, I don't want grace. Well, he wants to give you a free gift. I don't want a free gift. I don't want the grace of God poured out on my life. I don't want his compassion. I don't want his long suffering. I don't want his mercy. I'll take my chances with hell. Now, what kind of fool would say that? So you can insult him and sinning in ignorance or weakness can grieve the spirit but sinning willfully will insult him the outcome of that person is really in the second letter to the Thessalonians which we would read here in second Thessalonians chapter 1 and starting in verse 7 it's kind of a long read but you've read it before to give you who are troubled rest with us when The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, who don't have that relationship with him, who don't know him in an intimate way, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who is it that brings that gospel to us? You say, my friend? No. He's probably the tool, but it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What an awful thing that would be. If you could take anything into heart and, and the danger of rejecting Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit leads a person to that place and you reject him, imagine what it would be like with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. Don't, don't, please don't go there. So we get to go back to the text. Let's talk about quenching the spirit. And we think of quench, I think of putting out a fire. That's our text this morning. Do not quench the spirit. Now, how could we become guilty of this? To quench means to extinguish. It means to suppress. Really goes with Romans 1 for those who suppress the truth. They're they're quenching the spirit. They know what's right. They know what's right, but I'd rather have a life of sin and enjoy the pleasures of wickedness, and I'll suppress that truth. I'll quench it. Because I don't want it to get out of hand. And all of a sudden, Jesus has power. That's the world, okay? There's evidence of him all around us, and the world is suppressing. They're quenching, trying to, trying to quench the work of the Spirit. And so we are all this depravity going on that Romans 1 says, when you see these things in the culture, you're not headed for judgment, you're in judgment. And when you see them in the culture, God has already turned the culture over to a debased mind. Folks, that's the culture we live in. Our nation's been turned over to debased thinking. That's why what used to be hidden is coming out like crazy. you got to understand, that's normal to them. That's truth to them. Why? Because they've quenched the spirits. They've suppressed the spirit. That's part of what it means to they've held it down. They've stifled it now to whatever extent the spirit is at work we are not to suppress it we're not to quench the spirit of god now what's the role of the holy spirit in the life of the believer well dan read that text he's to lead in, in our what does he do with us he comforts us leads us into all truth convicts well that's what he's, he does that to us too You go go back to John 16, which he read from, and you look at verses 8 through 11, what's he do with the unbeliever? And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe me or believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but I cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. We're not ready. At that time, they weren't ready for that. But look at in John 16, uh, verses 5 through 15. I'm not going to reread that. He read that. But if you go back and look at 13 through 15, greater love has no one than this than the uh, no, I'm in 16. Go to sixteen, thirteen, to 15, and what does he say here? He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that, He will take of mine and declare it to you. That's what he does in the believer's life. Praise God for that. But can he be quenched in that? Can we quench him in that? Yeah. I can tell you how. Real easy. Here's a I'll read it again. However, when he comes, the Holy the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Where did Jesus tell the Holy Spirit to talk to us from? Where is he talking to us? The Word, okay? If I want to quench the Spirit of God, I simply don't read it. And I stay away from it. Now, how is he going to lead me into all truth if I'm one who's never in the word? See, don't think just because we're believers we can't quench the spirit of God, that we can't break the heart of God. If I avoid fellowship with him, I'm breaking his heart. And he can't lead me into that truth. I mean, he can. It'd be hard if I stay away from fellowship with him. Now, God's truth is made known through, the, through his Holy Spirit, um, all through the Old Testament. I mean, we go back through, let's go back to 1 Peter here. 1 Peter, through the Paul, uh, Peter speaks of that, chapter 1, First Peter, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Knowing this first, the no prophecy of Scripture... Is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. New Testament, you get into the New Testament where we just read in John 16, uh, John 14:26, which would say. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. It goes on. So we see the Spirit of God working in Old Testament. There's many verses for that through the New Testament. And this truth has been fully delivered to his saints in the Word of God. But we can quench it. We can quench the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is at work in our lives every day, teaching and guiding us through his revealed word and strengthening us through his indwelling. If we go back even to Ephesians chapter three, and let's go to verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through who? His spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now this is is Paul's prayer for them. But what if they decided not to heed this? Could could the spirit be quenched? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ uh, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the text that we have here to the Thessalonians, do not quench the spirit. Do not what? Despise prophecies. Now, when this was happening, when the church, early church, there was prophecies being made of future events to come. And so Paul is even writing to them, "Don't, don't quench the Spirit when the Spirit uses somebody to declare a prophecy. Don't quench it. Don't try to stop it. Now, what's different in that time than our time? What's different in their in their time and our time? We have what? The Word of God. They didn't have this. Okay, They had letters. They had the law. They had Old Testament prophets. But they didn't have it bound like we have in the canonized scriptures. So we have the Word of God put together. So they were prophesying of things to happen. Prophesying <coughs> excuse me, of what the written word would be for you and I. And so he says, don't quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies. You know, what are some other ways that we might quench the Holy Spirit in our life? We can quench the Spirit of God if we fail as to heed the Word of God or to obey the Word of God. We can quench the Spirit, Holy Spirit, if we fail to pray. We can, we you know, are asking the Lord for help. He might move in our hearts to witness to somebody, to give something to somebody or to go to someone to do something for him and whatever it may be, and often our response is sometimes to ignore him and to say ah, no until, you know, we ex- finally we extinguish that little flame in our hearts uh, that he's trying to ignite. You know what I mean by that? How many times has God put somebody on your heart to pray for them and you don't do it? Oh, I keep thinking about this person. wonder why I'm thinking about this person all the time. God wants me to, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to think about them. So I'll, I'll try to distinguish or quench the spirit when he's trying to get me to do something. Or I see a person in need. I, they've got that need. Man, they still have it. It's been six months. And the church hasn't done a thing. Yet I got every means to meet that need. Right? Am I quenching the Spirit of God? Yeah. Okay? When the Spirit of God is moving in our souls, our duty is to obey and to do answer Him immediately. So whatever the Spirit is trying to do, we're not to block His efforts. We're supposed to, you know, what do they say with kids? First-time obedience? You ever heard that term? How many times, if your parents, kids, if your parents tell you to do something, how long does it take for you to do it? Now, they're listening. How long does it take? One? No, I... Yeah, we're all laughing as adults, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. And does does it break your mom-dad's heart when you don't obey the first time? I wonder what God thinks when we don't do that. I wonder what God thinks... You know, we get on our kids, hey, you need to obey me. When I tell you the first time, you do it. Right? That's what we do. I told you how many times did I tell you to take out the garbage. What parents used that line before? And Jesus says, How many times did I tell you to pray? How many times have I been trying to tell you to get in the word? How many times you know, we do the same thing. I want to, it's gotta be grieving his heart and we, we quench him all the time. So you, okay. Now what do we do? Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. What's the job of the church? To test what? Test everything that's being done around us. Test things that are being taught. Test things that you see. Test it, compare it, and where's your measuring rod? It's right here. So test all things. And Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2. And let's look at the first two verses there. 2 Peter. But there are, were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. You think there's false teachers today? How do you know them, by the way? We all, we'll all take this out of context because we, we we tend to do this. We'll say, how do I tell an unbeliever? You'll know them by their fruits. Well, that that's... Not necessarily what that text says. It has to do with false teachers. Okay, You'll know the false teacher by their fruits. Okay? How do I know he's a false teacher? By what he's saying. By what he's doing. They don't line up with scripture. Okay, So it says here, but there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's, uh, you know, they don't do it to where you can see it. They secretly bring in destructive doctrine. Now, watch this. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift, swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for... A long time, their judgment has been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. It's our duty as a church to recognize false teaching and expose it. Not to live with it. Not to coddle it. But you're supposed to test all things. Hey, guess what? Even when Pastor Dan's teaching. I'm not above that. You're not above that. We test all things to make sure it lines up with what the Holy Spirit is saying in the Scripture. Okay, hold fast to what is good. So I test it. Boy, I hold on to the things that are good, right? We need to do what they're doing here. Test, prove all things would be another way. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, 1 to be exact. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Boy, that's that happens so much, you guys. It happens so much, so So many people, so many professing Christians have no depth when it comes to the word of God. So somebody can knock on the door and say, hey, we're Christians. Oh, come on in. We all believe the same God. Come on in. Let's have fellowship together. Sorry, you're staying on the porch. Right? The Bible says don't bring them in. You want to talk about Jesus, let me get it straight here. My family's in the house. I'm on the porch. But you're not bringing your garbage in here. I'll be glad to talk to you about Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> they don't even come to my house anymore. I'm so sad. <laughs> but look what it says. But test the spirits, whether they are from of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You're a blessed people. And it's not because I'm in the pulpit, but because it's the word of God that is forefront here. That that's a blessing because I know places where they don't even open this up. You can you can you can see on TV people that'll raise their Bible up and they'll follow after me. And I'll give some chant or mantra about following the Bible, and then go ahead, put it You might put it under the pew, you won't need it because I'm never going to go to it. Now I'll give you some kind of they'll give you some kind of self-help uh, program but it's never the word of God. Test those things. Watch out. The Bereans provide really an example for that. If you go to Acts 17 remember them the Bereans. Acts 17 verses 10 and 11. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away to, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. I like that, more fair-minded. They were more noble. They were fair-minded than those of in Thessalonica. You could say they were a little bit more mature, maybe a little bit more careful that they, rec- in, that they received the word with all readiness. Oh boy, they're hungry. They're they, this is the most exciting thing that they could ever hear. And they search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. How many of us go home after a Sunday and say, oh, man, I, I, you know, let me get that CD, let me let me listen to it online again, let me go through the scriptures and into the bulletin. I want to make sure, I heard some pretty great things, but I want to make sure that's true. You go home and the first thing you do is you start looking through the scriptures to see if what Pastor Dan taught you was right. That's really where you should be, really where all of us should be. Our responsibility does not end with simply believing the truth and, and rejecting that which is false. We, we have to hold fast to what is good. How do I hold fast to what is good? I get it in my spirit. I, I learn it. I, I, I read the doctrine. I start believing the doctrine, and you can't get me away from the doctrine. I know there's nuggets in here that are absolutely true, and you might have found them, but somebody else hasn't found them yet. God's opened your eyes and heart to it, but they may not have it. But you don't ever let go of it. Look at God's word, like I found something great, and I'm I'm looking at this. I'm oh I'm protecting it. I I'm holding on to what is good. There, there's some great things in the Bible, amen. And I hold and oh boy, <laughs> I get excited when you know what I get excited about. I'll be reading along, and I've read the passage so many times, all of a sudden, boom! It's like God took the shovel and said, hey, here's the nugget. Dig that one up. And you're going, i got to share this with people. And you go, uh, you're not ready. You know what it's like to have burning words? You have them, one, things you want to share, but you just can't? Because it's like talking to the dog? Hey! You want to know what I found in the Word today? He's like, "Boof." Same response with some people. Yeah, but how many of you excited when you when you find out that hey, what I heard today is great, and I now I'm holding fast to what is good. Th- this means to possess that holding fast is to. It means to possess, to retain it, to keep in memory, or to do what is true at, at the same time. Whatever is evil or false is to be shunned. I look at the scriptures. I filter through the scripture. That's good. That's right. That's true. Boy, that's not right. That's not true. I'm getting rid of that. Get that out. You know, Take it captive in my mind. Get it out of here. So, I, go, I mean, go to Philippians chapter 4. And look at this. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. What are we supposed You know the verse we're supposed to think on. Finally, brethren, whatever things are what? True. Now, this is what's great about this verse. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue or any moral excellence in this, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Every one of those attributes there can be said of Jesus, and they certainly can be said of his word. Okay, So what am I supposed to do then? I'm supposed to meditate on Christ and his word. How long? Every minute of the day. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's not just that I do that. I set myself up as an example so when people are watching me, they can find Jesus. I need to hold on to those things that are true. Abstain from every form of evil, our text says today. Well, what's evil in our world? What Out of your own mouth, what would you say is evil in the world today? Everything. Okay, we covered that. <coughs> You know, abstain from every form of evil. Now, when the testing is made, any aspect of evil must be rejected. But is it evil because I think it's evil, or is it evil because God says it's evil? See, that's where we have to be careful. That's where I have to be careful, because I'll become a judge of the law if I'm not. It it might be permittable... But it's just some it's a conviction of mine, but not a conviction of yours. And there are those things that are convictions that God doesn't give either way. Just my conviction. I you know some of you you got the conviction you can't wear plaid. And so (laughs) you laugh. (laughs) Folks, there's churches built around this. I'm not kidding. How would you like to go to a church where they measured how long your sleeves were? On the men. And if any of your wrist shows, because that's a seductive part for women to see, <laughs> then you go home and you change. And if your skirt is not down to where a man can't see your ankles, you're going home. You change before, now you laugh, but there's churches in our area that are like that. Now, that doesn't mean you rebel anyway. I'm just saying. Sometimes things are, man says it's evil, but it's not really evil. You follow me? But we want to avoid what God says is evil. Now, every form, that term means, it literally means that which is seen as the external appearance. So, when it says here, abstain from every form of evil that I see. Okay that's Stop. out in front of my eyes. It's uh, stay away from the city beach. Right? Right? Stay aw- why? <laughs> Which young man said that? <laughs> huh? You. Well, talk to grandpa. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And Lord, we have quenched you, your spirit. We have, sometimes people have despised your word. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to obey it. They don't want to see it. And Lord, sometimes we don't test all things. Sometimes we're too accepting And we don't go home and search the scriptures to see what's right and wrong. Lord, we don't always hold fast to what is good. Sometimes, Lord, we're in the world too much. And we are more influenced by those things that are evil than what is good. Help us to hold on to what is good, Father. This world's getting darker and darker and darker. Lord, help us to hold on to what is good, which is Christ and your word. And Lord, help us to abstain from every form of evil that we see around us, Father. Let us not partake with them. Lord, help us in that area, we pray today in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.